Hi, and welcome to the DMBA podcast, where we talk all things design strategy. Today's special guest is Maya Joseph Gotiner, a DMBA alum, super curious UX researcher, and design leader at Google. Enjoy! Well, thank you so much, Maya for joining us uh, in another DMBA podcast. Uh, in this case, just like the other ones, you are al- alumni that we're, uh, alumnus that we're spotlighting today. Uh, and I'm really, really grateful that you're here. Um, to get us kicked off, maybe just tell us who you are. Tell us a little bit about you, uh, who you are, where you work, what you do, all that good, juicy stuff. Thanks, Justin. A yeah. pleasure to be here and excited about this conversation. So where where I am, what I do, um, I'm in, hello from Santa Fe, New Mexico. I actually did oh. a pandemic move Very uh, nice. two years ago. We can talk more about that. Um, the silver lining of a really tough time. Mm-hmm. And I am, I'm the head of research at Area 120, which is Google's in-house incubator. Mm-hmm. And I've been, I've been in this role for two and a half years. Pre- before that, I was um, leading research on the future of advertising also at Google. Um, and to be honest, Justin, I have the DMBA to, to thank for my oh, yeah. career. A bit. I, I don't, I think that's probably very common for, for many DMBAers, but I, I was on, on, you know, an art path. I was very steeped in the art world when I came to the DMBA and had no idea what UX research was. Hmm. Um, and, and thanks to the DMBA, the DMBA, I really, I discovered this new path that, um, that connected um, all these past passions and interests that I, I had dabbled in, but never really focused on. And, um, and they sort of came together fortuitously hmm. while I was in the DMBA program. So. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I want to get back to that in a moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so you work at Google, you've been there for five years, something like that? Yeah, almost so, five years. Yeah. A, lo- a long time, right? In tech tech years, that's like, uh, you know, like 50 years. It's a, it's a pretty good stint. Um, I, I want to get back to the bridge of like the jump between art and that, but maybe tell us like, what are, you know, what are some of your favorite things about working for a big company like Google that, you know, yeah, you pivoted and you got there. What's it like? What are some of your favorite things uh, about working there? And, and maybe even tell us about the, a little bit about that journey and finding that, that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, so my favorite, my favorite thing about working at Google are those pockets of innovation mm-hmm. that, maybe aren't visible to um, to the outside world or the consumer. Maybe they are through like your experiences of mm-hmm. using products. But um, where where I sit within Google, and when I was in ads, I saw it as well, there are um, these these little hubs where there is great um, great experimentation and creativity. And um, within Area 120, I see that continuously. So right now we have um, over 15 uh, areas that we're exploring. And, and, and the cool thing about each of those 
products or areas of investment is that there's an individual who's really passionate behind that idea, behind that team. And often they themselves are pivoters. They're people who have been, you know, a, an engineer at Google for like 10 years. Wow. And all of a sudden they have this, um, this energizing moment where they want to do something totally different and build a new product. And so I, I sit, you know, in this unique position where um, the research team, we get to support them and work with them and partner with them and help them really um, assess their assumptions and understand their target users and um, identify a value proposition that's worth building around. And, and so that is a creative process and exercise that I think all DMBAers go through naturally because of the structure right. of the program. Right. Um, and often in the industry, there aren't that many moments to have that kind of experience. Um, and so we, we build an environment where that's possible. Um, and it happens, you know, it happens across Google, which is the cool thing. Mm -hmm. um, but in Area 120, it happens more at scale. Yeah, it sounds it sounds really entrepreneurial, if I will. I mean, it it sounds yeah. like you get to be, you know, sort of like the advisor, entrepreneur, entrepreneur in residence, whatever it is. Like you're working with other entrepreneurs, but sprinting over and over and over again. Uh, you know, it, it almost well, even better than a consultant, I guess. In some ways, you get to be on that journey. Is that right? Yeah, you do, and it's and it's really. Um, it's exhilarating because you do it again and again and again. Yeah. Um, and I, I think what's unique about it also is that it's within Google, right? So yeah. it's I, the individuals are taking a different kind of risk than if they're building an external product. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually brings me to one of my favorite things about Google, which is access to information, which maybe sounds, yeah. <laughs> you know, sounds just so silly for me to say it, right. um, but, but people and, and the resources that we have, I, at, at my core, I am a learner mm -hmm. and I always have been, and <laughs> I am in a role where I continue to nurture that part of myself. Um, and, you know, whether it's learning about a new industry or new technology um, or, um, you know, a new market, I am always immersing myself in a new domain. Uh, and I think that's one of the things about research in general that's, that's really fun. And for, for my team, uh, it's unique because of the environment that we're in, that we get to do it you know, again and again and again, again continuously. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll never be an expert, um, right. but you know, I'll, I'll know a little bit about a lot of things. <laughs> I love that. You know, I I got into uh, consulting and, and started a, um, a design strategy consulting agency for exactly the same reason. I tell people when they ask, hey, you know, you went from sort of product management into this consulting thing. I'm like, you know why? Because I love acronyms. I generally love to go into healthcare and learn all, like someone says PNB and eventually I stop them. I'm like, Hey, what's PNB? It's peripheral nerve block. I'm like, Oh my God, tell me about that. That is yeah. so amazing. I need to know what that is. And yeah, like you, it sounds like 
you're the same. Like it's okay yeah. to go, you know, you don't, you're not going to go two miles deep on something, but you might yeah. go a quarter mile deep on that thing, but a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that because I was so steeped in the art world before, I don't think I ever realized that about myself Yeah. Um, until I was in the DMBA. And then, you know, in the DMBA, we had this incredible opportunity to work with real businesses um, yeah. and, and to, to really, um, really think through how, how to improve their operations, how to help them increase revenue. Um, and, and I think that really opened a door for me and um, enabled me to see that I was good at something that, that was quite different than yeah. where, where I was coming from. What would you say, okay, so, you you know, something you're good at, what, let's jump all the way to your superpower. What would you say your superpower is if you were, if you were to think about it for a second, or maybe you already have it in mind and it's something you pull from your tool belt all day long. Maybe it's on your chest and you just like walk in and change and all of a sudden you're superwoman. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, that I, one of the exercises I like to do with um, whenever a new team member comes on board or when we're working with a new product team mm -hmm. is have people introduce themselves through a tool it can be mm -hmm. a tool through like a toolbox or in the kitchen or um, any kind of tool it could be you know a rock um, really any object can be a tool and I, I think my tool is is the needle and thread and I don't actually know how to sew but <laughs> yeah I'm, my superpower is really bringing whether it's um, whether it's uh, insights or people bringing things together and mm. um, and developing a um, a narrative that that is compelling. Um, and, and so I, I think often in in my day to day when I was an IC an individual contributor, that was through my research, right? Mm -hmm. And through telling the story. Uh, of of the users or of the market. Mm -hmm. And now that I have a team of 10, it's much more about up-leveling the individuals on my team, making sure that they are heard and their research is heard right. and connecting the dots between, um, between our investments and between Google product areas that have similar, similar foci. Um, so it's it's really dot connecting and um, and up leveling. I think the narrative right now, I would say, but it shifts. You know, superpowers shift yeah, totally. depending on the environment that you're in. So I I think I would have said something different a year ago. <laughs> I wonder what your what would your employees or colleagues say your superpower is? They think the same. They would say I'm an empathetic leader. I, yeah. I think they, okay. They would say that I invest a lot in. Um, in my people and in their growth, um, mm -hmm. that I bring a growth mindset to every challenge yeah. um, is probably what they would say based on the like <laughs> the feedback that I got. Um, yeah. How about you? Um, <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, that's a good one. I, I haven't been asked it. So I, I just I just asked the questions. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I I kind of knew this early on and then you know it was actually the same thing dmba I, I realized that my you know the strengths finder thing yeah. i was the only person with communication as my like main strength oh yeah i've learned that oh yeah actually i can 
you know, I can talk people into things all day long and I can usually communicate pretty clearly, you know, and, and you know, generally speaking, get my points across pretty well. And I, I like you, I like to talk. So, um, yeah. and write and all that, all the rest. So, yeah, I'd say my strength is probably communication um, or my superpower. And, but it comes across in lots of different ways. And I'm not always the best, you know, talker and I'm not always the best writer, but I can typically, totally. typically do pretty well there. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I, I recently had a, a work revelation mm. that as a manager, part of my job really is selling my team, which sounds, long. which sounds like, you know, it sounds both it has this dual feeling when you say that it feels sort of gross. Um, but it also feels very true and obvious. Right. Um, but, um, but I think I had this realization more recently because I used to believe so wholeheartedly that the work, you know, the work was the most important thing and making sure that we drive home those insights and make sure that they're understood and that they're actionable. But at the end of the day, um, it, you know, repeat, repeat communication continuously becomes right. so critical because people don't read things. They don't listen. Nope. It's like, <laughs> you have to leverage every channel and find creative ways to make sure that, um, that insights are being truly, um, truly absorbed. And right. so, um, I think I've shifted a lot recently in, in how I work to, to think about, um, think about utilizing every channel at my disposal and yep. continuing to connect the dots and continuing to sell even when, um, when the work has already been done and delivered because, um, a great example of this is work that I did, um, personally two years ago, or no, four years ago, four years, gosh, time flies. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it was um, within ads is now being leveraged and, mm. and utilized, and that sometimes it takes that long for your work to be seen. And and so I tell that to, to my team as well: is you have to be patient because maybe there was resistance today to this, you know, pivotal insight that you surfaced, and maybe there'll be resistance tomorrow, but maybe in three months, in six months. Right. In eight months, there'll be an appetite and openness to uh, really addressing this problem. Um, and it, it's, I think it's hard for those of us that care so deeply about our work and, um, and users to, to let go of the timeliness of something, but, um, but it's super important. Yeah. And on research, in research, I mean, you're, you're on the cutting edge. So not only are you leading a team of 10 and leading anyone, you know, in any organization, certainly as an organization as big as Google, um, you, you always have to go to bat for them. I totally understand that. And yeah, you, you know, I would imagine that you're always on the bleeding edge because you're learning the newest insights, right? The freshest insights yeah. about what people want and need. And yeah, I, I think, yeah, patience would certainly be a virtue there, but then even more so for you to, you know, be able to communicate that and really help your team understand that. But yeah, I, I love that. Um, yeah. And that's, I, I would say that if you spoke to my manager, um, Priscilla, mm -hmm. you know, 
three years ago, she would say, Maya is so impatient. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, she just, she wants change and she, you know, she expects sure. just to, you know, to, to shift and, and, um, and so it's really, it's been a learned, it's, that's mm. a learned skill set for me for sure. Nice. Well, I'd love to touch on your, your big jump, right? So you were yeah. in the art world. Um, what, what were you doing? What were you doing in the art world and what made it motivated you to make any kind of leap, including, you know, go to the DMBA? Yeah. Great question. Um, and everybody has a story. Uh, mm-hmm. this question is, is my favorite question because, um, it's, it, it says so much about each DMBA and I think there's also so many connections here. Um, so this always makes me feel, especially at Google, I feel so sometimes so ancient because <laughs> uh, going back to circa, you know, 2007, eight, there was um, a financial crisis and I was working for the Matisse Foundation at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was working on their, um, I was a, a grants manager. So working on their giving program mm-hmm. and also working on a catalog resume project for Yves Tanguy. And I saw nonprofits in education folding left and right. Right. And it was really disheartening. It was so hard to see. Um, and I, I was, you know, deeply invested in art education personally. Um, and so I think it, it made me wonder, ask myself, is there another model for art organizations that isn't dependent on the funding right. of foundations um, that, that could, you know, how could, how could organizations generate revenue and have more stable streams of revenue? So I started a business in, I guess, 2000, gosh, my fuzzy, everything becomes a little fuzzy, but I think it was 2000. This is where like, I should pull up my own LinkedIn, which is embarrassing. But anyway, I started a business, I think around 2008, maybe it was later, um, with another woman um, to create um, a new stream of revenue for visual artists. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was called Katuv. And in that process, I realized I knew nothing about business. And like, how could I be bootstrapping and building this business? When I knew nothing about um, about a PL and I knew nothing about you know S- actually SEO at the time because we were building an online marketplace. Oh wow, yeah. We we were learning just uh, an incredible amount about organic um, content, but like trying to figure out on our own, and we were meeting with all sorts of people to to um, to figure out how could we how could we actually be searchable and findable. Um, and so I found the DMBA in that process. And, um, and that's, that was, the goal was to continue working on Kutuv hmm. and, and to scale the business. And so I was working on Kutuv while I was in the DMBA. And in, in the process discovered that there was a you know, there was a whole world out there (laughs) that there was, there was a thing called UX research and, um, and that it was a field and that it had all, you know, all this overlap with what I was most um, passionate about. Um, And yeah, that was the beginning. What, what in UX research 
did you find that you were passionate about? I mean, here you came from the art world. You're creating an online marketplace, right? And you worked for the Matisse Foundation before that. And you see the world sort of falling down around you. And then UX research, what what inside of that, you know, get, dri- drove that passion? Are you like, oh, that's yeah. the thing? I think I, I always cared deeply about, um, about meaningful, you know, building meaningful products, Mm. about making even even when I was making art Justin I I was trying to connect with people and and figure out a way for my art to um to to drive more meaning and to um to help help people reflect and um and you know have conversations so I think even in, in my personal work there was always this drive to um there's always always this drive to facilitate um some sort of progression Mm. so with user research i i felt like i was um i was investing in what mattered which was people and their problems and their challenges and what what made them feel um, heard and seen and, um, increasing utility, increasing depth, increasing, um, what people care about, you know, their, their values, aligning to values. And so I immediately saw sort of the, the hopeful, I think in technology, which, you know, isn't always, you know, reality, but, um, I think I was really, um, I was struck by, by that potential of um of having you know of of creating things that had more purpose and uh and that provided connection uh and and that was the beginning and i i think i've had you know experiences where that's true and then experiences where it's it's not possible because you know a business is is struggling Mm -hmm. uh, and so they don't always make the right decision or, or, you know, for their users, because they, they have, you know, challenging times. Right. What are some of the tools or methods or skills or whatever it might be that you took directly from the DMBA that you, you'd say you still rely on today, or you still use today or pull out and, and employ? That's a great question. I, gosh, I think so much of, of Steve's class, um, that's Steve Geller. Yeah, Steve Diller had just a massive influence in mm-hmm. in how I think, um, in how I ask questions, um, and Rafi's class as well. I it's I still have my notebooks. I mean, I haven't opened them in, in a few years, but I definitely have continued opening those notebooks um, when I have downtime and I can yeah. reflect. Uh, yeah, I think there were there were models um and there there were also there were like highlights i think that were beyond the classroom like we had um alexander osterwalder Mm -hmm. uh, like he came and he spoke and he was really influential and i mean i his the business model canvas the value prop canvas continue to be assets yeah my day-to-day of working with teams so i think 
there was this whole world that was just completely opened up for me while in the DMBA that has continued to drive um, drive um, the process of, of how, how I work and how my team works and mm-hmm. um, is really the foundation. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, it's, a, it's very similar for me. I mean, there were, I can think of a few light bulb moments and that business model canvas was one of those. I ended up building a business based on business model canvas. Totally. Um, but yeah, it was one of those light bulb moments where it was like, oh, no way there's that this is a thing uh, let's go do this thing i yeah i totally get that and yeah there were you know certainly i think for everyone so a few pivotal classes or moments or professors that just yeah they change everything for you even if you didn't know that they changed them right there you yeah they they bring them back into the rest of your life absolutely and i think one of the powers of the dmba was how how we learned in context, you know, all the the projects that, mm-hmm. that where we actually were applying our our learnings to a real business were right. just just so so many breakthrough moments happened in that work. And um, I remember how how like challenging it was too. And one of the hardest parts of it was the team dynamics, which continue to be a thing in life. Yeah, sure. right? I mean, <laughs> it's um, in, but those connections in that I made in the DMBA continue, continue um, to play out in my life, you know, in, in, in work and in person personally as well. I have two DMBAs currently on my team. Oh, no, uh, yeah. Yeah. I have um, both from, from my class, Adam and Katha are both on my team. Um, and I, I keep in touch with, gosh, I mean, at least 10 people, uh, from, from, yeah, from my class and Mm -hmm. Devin, uh, lives in Santa Fe now. So anyway, those connections are really lifelong connections. Right. Um, And, and I have to say that a really cool thing has happened in UX research where, I think five, even 10, I mean, 10, even five years ago, I would say that Google hired very academic researchers who had PhDs and sure. in, um, in psychology or, or um, uh, often psychology, and let's just keep it simple, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. PhDs were like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. were really um, very common. And in the last, I'd say, I'd say four plus years, there's really been a movement to uh, hire researchers at Google and within tech that have more diverse backgrounds and that um, I think design thinking and strategy um, is becoming more of an asset uh, in, in hiring. So it's also it's there's a DMBA chat at Google and I think there's over 15 or 20 DMBAers at Google currently. Wow, yeah. that's amazing! I, I, I this is the first time I've heard of that, and I yeah. I, really? Oh my yeah, god! I've know and I've come across you know a, a really good handful of DMBAers that are at Google, but I didn't even realize realize there was a an actual channel yeah, or chat channel there. Hold on, I'm just gonna look. Seventeen. Yeah, please do. Yeah, please do. Seventeen DMBAers. No way! Yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, and I think that is really, truly a signal of, of there being a change in, in right. tech 
um, in thinking about like what skill sets are super critical yeah. um, for, you know, for, for, you know, product teams for, I'm not sure if they're all within product, but I think most sure. of them are within sure. design and um, within research. You know, this is going to sound a little bit, it is a leading question. So that's fine. I'm going to, yeah, fine. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you anyways. Um, yeah, I you know, you it. mentioned that, and it was the same for me. So I, I worked for Autodesk for a long time and, you know, in user research and, you know, and certainly UX research, there were, it wasn't a nearly, it's not nearly as big a company as Google, but there were, let's say there were three to five sort of main leaders in my division uh, they, and, you know, at least two or th probably three of them were PhDs, uh, yeah. you know, in psychology or something like that. Right. And then they got into research. Um, and what you're talking about, it sounds like is really it's almost like practical application. It's not that PhDs don't do as part of your dissertation and your studies don't practice this. But, you know, you've mentioned now a few times. Yeah you know, in the DMBA, and this is the way I pitch it as well as part of the application process. And this is the way it was pitched to me from Nathan is there, I can't think of a program that's more practical in that you practice all day long with teams, right? You're practicing being on teams with people that you wouldn't normally be on a team with, but you're there, you're thrown together and you're practicing the tools, you're practicing the skills, the methods, the mindset, right? The, the designer's mindset. How much of this do you think is, you know, with the DMBA onslaught that's happening, there was 17 in the channel at, at Google. How much do you think it is that Google or other companies like Google are hiring because, oh, you know what, uh, we're looking for people with practi practice, practical application of these skills that we're talking about? Totally. I think, I, I think it's, um, it's super important. It's, and, and I think it's more than just the practical application. I think there's a movement away from rigor, and, and not that yeah. we're not that we're ditching rigor entirely. Right, right. You're you're never going to ditch rigor entirely, but I think there's um, there's an appetite for more like lean research, for nimble research, for for research that um, researchers you hear commonly that researchers, you know, complain what they go to the therapist for is, is like, I don't have a seat at the table and designers do this too. Like, I don't have a seat at the table. Like they don't care about, they don't care about the research. They don't care about the, the design perspective. They don't care about the experience. And I think, I think that, um, that part of it is that we have to meet product managers and engineering teams where they're at. Um, and, and for, for that, it, you need soft skills that some people develop when they're getting a PhD, but that I think you right. really develop in a challenging environment where you're working quickly, which you, we did in the DMBA, you're yep. working quickly, yep. you're, you're, you're working with new people, new teams, every single class, right. and you're collaborating, and you, and you have a deliverable. And I, I think that that environment prepares you more for working on a technology product team than any environment. Um, yeah. Cause it, it's the people skills too. It's um, 
it's the velocity. Like velocity is so important in technology. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the researchers tend to hate that velocity because, well, you can't possibly get, you know, the right <laughs> data and the volume of data that you need, you know, to validate or invalidate this right. uh, in that time frame. And, um, and I think the DMBA really accelerates that process in a positive way that, um, that gives people confidence to flex and be creative mm-hmm. and let go of, of rigor when, when you can. And, mm-hmm. and not that you can always, but often, you know, you can, you can do things more incrementally. Right. Uh, right. And take an additive mindset and, and bring the team along with you. And so right. I think that the DMBA, the structure of it is totally unique. There are other programs now that I think are mimic, mimicking it, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it prepared me for real world experiences that <laughs> that I really I, I couldn't have gotten in any other environment, to be honest. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, yeah. I want to because we're going pretty long. I want to. Oh, yeah. It's it's both of us. We're I both. Warned you, I warned you. <laughs> you did you know? And I I probably could have warned you too. I'll just keep asking questions eventually. Uh, um, so I'd love to know what's your one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone thinking mm-hmm. about the DMBA uh, or perhaps already like deep into it in their first year and they're like, oh my goodness, this is a lot. What's your, what's your piece of advice? Or maybe it's a couple pieces of advice because those are two, two people. Yeah. Um, I think maybe this is very, um, obvious, but, but to truly bring a growth mindset to, you know, to the DMBA, to, um, not, not to get cornered. I think a lot of, I mean, me included, I, I went to the DMBA thinking I was going for a specific purpose. And luckily, luckily I, I was open enough to see that there was opportunity to go in a different direction. Um, but there might've been moments in my, in my life where I wouldn't have been open to that. So I would just encourage people to let go of your own expectations and assumptions about your career path and truly to embrace learning. Because when you do that, you might find, um, you might find a, a skill set or a passion that's unexpected. Right. Um, and, and your path is never linear. That's, that's the other thing I've learned again and again. Your, your path, your path is not linear. It's not always in your control. <laughs> and um, and you, you know, your your sort of flexibility and, and openness really determine um, determine how many options you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's that's probably my first piece of advice. And my second piece of advice is. Um, let yourself um, let yourself get get lost, which is maybe sort of another version of that. Um, but let yourself also become really curious about something super specific. Yeah. I think specificity and um, getting really excited, finding that that thing that gets you really excited is super important. That becomes a story for you to tell and. I think there've been plenty of people who I've worked with who have become passionate about something 
really focused mm-hmm. and it's why they are where they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, so don't overlook your, your existing, you know, curiosity and passion. Always think about how you can expand on that and make it your thing. Yeah, totally agree. That's certainly true for me. It happened the same way for me in the DMBA. So, uh, and it was really like one tool. <laughs> I love uh, it. I love it too. Um, well, I want to thank you so much again, Maya, for joining me today in this conversation. Um, super fun. And uh, we'll put this podcast out there and I hope you share it with your Google channel. I would love to see uh, <laughs> a bunch of people at the next uh, community dinner. And uh, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thanks again, Maya. Of course. Bye. Bye. Take care. You too. Thanks so much for listening to the DMBA podcast. Want to nominate someone for this podcast, including yourself? Email Justin anytime 